Welcome back to Built to Win. I'm your host, Dan Reynolds. Today, we're going to be talking about a very interesting discussion. It's known as Zuckerbucks. It's actually related to one of our most important election integrity reforms. Sitting down with me today to discuss this very important topic are two people from FGA. First, Nick Horton, Research Director. Nick, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. And we have Hayden Duplois, Senior Research Analyst here at FGA. Hayden, thanks so much for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Dan. So I'll give a brief explainer a little bit on Zuckerbucks, but I want you guys to give the better, deeper dive. So essentially what Zuckerbucks are, for our listeners who know nothing about it, and after this conversation, if it's something you are more interested in learning more about, we're going to have a bunch of great resources linked for you in the show notes. But Zuckerbucks are a specific type of private donation to local elections across the country. So that's where I want to start with our brief overview, but there's so much more to it. And that's what we're going to be discussing today. So Nick, can you explain to our listeners from a macro perspective, what Zuckerbucks are exactly and how they came to be? Yeah, great question. I think obviously we're all very familiar with 2020 and COVID and a lot of the challenges that came for that. I think local governments and election offices certainly weren't entirely immune to some of those challenges. And so to take a cynical view, I would say Mark Zuckerberg saw an opportunity there to reach into his very deep pockets and to come in and scatter money into the pockets of local government all around the country to set up drop boxes, to set up mobile voting. A lot of it, honestly, Dan, I think the public message and narrative on this was that we're going to help these election officials and offices deal with the challenges of COVID. We're going to help them buy masks. We're going to help them buy plexiglass. We're going to help them hire additional election workers. But what we found in our research is that very, very little of the money actually went to those purposes. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that throughout the interview today. But essentially, this is about a leftist billionaire coming in and using private money to finance public elections, which I think on its face is inappropriate and problematic. And I think by the end of this interview, that will become abundantly clear. So Hayden, one thing that I know from our background discussions on this topic is the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. Can you talk to our listeners about what that is, you know, what the connection is there between that initiative, Mark Zuckerberg, and maybe talk to our listeners about just how much money is going on here? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question because there are a lot of players and moving parts in the background on this. So the Chen Zuckerberg Initiative is an organization formed by Mark Zuckerberg and his wife, Priscilla Chan which they use to fund a number of other different entities, including the Center for Tech and Civic Life, which is another nonprofit initiative that was actually used to funnel these Zuckerbucks into various states. And when we talk about Zuckerbucks, we're talking about more than $400 million that was funneled from Zuckerberg into the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative into state and local election offices in the 2020 election. And at FGA, we've been able to count for a significant portion of that. You know, we've, we've filed, I think, over uh, 800 different public records requests to various municipalities and counties administering elections around the country and gotten about 600 responses back that account for nearly 200 million of that total. And from 
expenditures that have nothing to do with the stated purpose of what these Zuckerbucks were for to expenditures that seemingly had an influence on the election that favored Joe Biden. There have been an incredible amount of results which suggest a nefarious influence on the election stemming from these Zuckerbucks directly. So something I'm sure our listeners are curious about is the blunt question, did this thing we're discussing, did it influence election results? Nick, broadly speaking, did they? I think the easiest answer to that is yes. And I'll certainly let Hayden speak to the numbers on that a little bit more. I will say it's a little bit of a mixed bag. You know, there's certainly some states and some jurisdictions where it looked like it had more of an impact than in others. But I think the fundamental point, the fundamental question that we know the answer to now is what was the intent of this? How were the Zuckerbucks targeted? And were they really truly, you know, dispersed in a fair way, evenly across cities and counties to remove any appearance of impropriety or favoritism or, you know, ideological preference? And I think the answer to that quite simply is, is no, that was not the case. You know, Zuckerberg himself has made some public comments that, oh, we, you know, we gave these funds to any and every jurisdiction that asked for them. And so any claim from, you know, conservatives or or whoever that this was slanted in some way or that the funds were targeted in some way is, is untrue. But what we found in our research is that, you know, there's a big difference between saying we gave money to everyone that asked versus, well, we gave the minimum grant amount at least to everyone that asked versus, you know, some cities and counties, for example, inner city uh, Philadelphia area or just Philadelphia more broadly got over $10 million in Zuckerbucks. You think naturally, instinctively, well, it's a big city. So of course they got more funding. But when you look at it on a, on a per voter basis and a per person basis in that sense, a huge disparity in what some of the rural, more red conservative areas got. And so I think, again, a little bit of a mixed bag on how much did they affect turnout and how much of an increase in Democratic vote tally did we see in some of these areas. But certainly what we've seen is a massive amount more spending in areas where there were definitely Democrat voters, where unfortunately, county officials, even in some cases, and city officials were going out and registering people to vote and trying to drive up turnout in those areas. We've definitely seen that to be true. Yeah. So that was going to say, Hayden, that does tee up you perfectly now to kind of just jump in, maybe to give our listeners a little bit more of the specifics, but uh, please go ahead. Sure. Yeah. On the points of how this influenced the election, a follow-up with Nick was saying, What we kind of looked at when we examined this on a state-by-state basis was, I think, three pieces of information. Where did the money go? How much money went to those places? And how did it affect the results, if it did affect them at all? On the first question, what we've seen is overwhelmingly in, especially swing states, the money went to disproportionately Biden-leaning areas. So I'm thinking in Arizona, for example, 80% of Biden winning counties got Zuckerbucks, 40% of Trump winning counties. Over in Georgia, half the counties that voted for Biden received Zuckerbucks. Only 20% of the counties that voted for Trump received Zuckerbucks. So it it went to Democratic areas predominantly. CTCL and the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative can come back and say, oh, well, we, we gave it to everyone who asked. So that's when we looked and actually took a hard look at how much money went to those particular areas. And in Georgia, for 
just an example, all those you know counties you were hearing about on the news when uh, we were having some really uh, poor delays in the election results coming out of Georgia, like DeKalb County, Fulton County, you know, some of the largest counties in the state all received a great deal of Zuckerberg. So the six counties receiving grant amounts in Georgia, for example, above a million dollars were all won by Hillary Clinton in 2016 and all won by Joe Biden in 2020. And we, we took a hard look at how that broke down per registered voter. So for example, Zuckerberg's receiving counties that voted for Trump got about $1.91 in Zuckerberg's per registered voter. But Zuckerberg's counties that went for Biden got $7.13 per registered voter. That's nearly four times as much. So when you actually drill down and look at how much money went to these counties, it clearly favored the Democratic candidate by multitudes of three or four or five in almost every case. And then finally, we look and we say, okay, we know where it went. We know how much went there. How did it affect the results? And we, of course, all know due to the unprecedented turnout in the 2020 election with mail-in voting that across the political spectrum, candidates saw their vote totals go up. But take Georgia, for instance. On average, in Georgia, most Georgia counties moved to the left, obviously, because the state as a whole moved to the left. But if you look at counties that didn't receive Zuckerbucks, they really didn't change. The statewide shift was driven by those counties that did get Zuckerbucks because on average, Zuckerbucks receiving counties swung by about 2.3 percentage points towards Biden compared to the Clinton-Trump matchup in 2016. And again, when you account for the fact that the counties in Georgia that didn't get Zuckerbucks really didn't move at all, we're left with the conclusion that the Zuckerbucks receiving counties carried the statewide shift to the left and ultimately put that state in Biden's column. And we've seen that pattern play out in a number of states from Pennsylvania to Arizona. It's really been quite unprecedented. So that's kind of how we've taken a look at it and how we've concluded that, yeah, it, it did from our analysis have an effect on the results. Yeah. It, just to punch that point too, I think, Dan, to the skeptic out there, not that not that we would ever have skeptics listening to our podcast, but <laughs> if there is a skeptic listening you know, that says, well, you're cherry picking or, well, that's, yeah, the, the one, the one uh, skeptic out there, uh, you're cherry picking or you're only looking at some states or it's an incomplete analysis. I would say in some sense, yes, like that's part of the fundamental problem that we have with Zuckerbucks and with private money and leftist billionaires funding elections is we don't know. Like we don't know the full picture of what happened and how all the money was spent and the impact that it had. And unfortunately, not everyone has this, uh, you know, whip crack research team that we have at FGA that can go out and file a thousand public records requests and try to piece all of this together. And so I think it's just, it's, it's a separate point, but it's just fundamental to the entire problem with the private funding and financing of elections is it's not accountable. It's not transparent. And you're only going to get this scattershot view. With that being said, the scattershot view that we have is very ugly. And it clearly shows that there was an impact here. So let's talk a little bit about what we do know from that scattershot view. Hayden, what are some of the most egregious examples of the uses of these Zuckerbucks? Nick, you were talking earlier about how, at least in the idyllic world of what this money should be used for is something like plexiglass or some sort of like PPE elements for election workers. Hayden, you know, what actually happened? Sure. Great question. What we found is that 
typically in the states we've been able to examine maybe around one to three or four percent on a high end of those funds were actually spent on personal protective equipment and things related to that. In reality, the expenditures went towards much more broader and potentially nefarious categories like voter education and voter turnout efforts and things of that nature. But when you peel a level deeper and and actually look at some of the receipts that the counties and municipalities provided to us when we filed our request with them, it's actually even more eyebrow raising. So, you know, in Wisconsin, for example, Green Bay got 1.1 million, 150,000 of that went to a PR firm, which I don't know how that has much relation to a uh, ensuring a safe election in a, in a year with a pandemic. Uh, they also had an incident where the city of Green Bay actually provided keys to where the ballots were being stored to CTCL officials after they received a check from CTCL, which should raise red flags for everyone listening and eventually yeah, wow. actually re- resulted in the yeah, it resulted in the um, city elections clerk resigning uh, in protest over the issue. You know, we also saw in, in other states, Georgia, there was a county that used it to pay attorney's fees in Mahoning County, Ohio, excuse me, they um, spent 3500 on a student to monitor and police their social media posts. Uh, Lorraine County, they paid off an eight grand Verizon bill, spent 24 grand at a local car dealership. Four states made vehicle purchases or, or rentals of some sort. Wisconsin, they uh, they spent 100 grand to purchase new Ford F550s. I mean, we're seeing all sorts of expenditures that really have nothing whatsoever to do with the conduct of a, of a safe and local election. And that's part of the problem Nick mentioned. I mean, there were, there were no guardrails on this. There were no safeguards. There was no transparency. There was no shining light. This was all done in the dark from a leftist billionaire to finance the private outcome elect- of elections. And, you know, I, I would just add, I think if the shoe was on the other foot, I mean, it, we, we've heard for years about, oh, you know, the Koch brothers are trying to pour dark money into our elections and, and fund them and steal them. And what folks are referring to do is, is outside groups buying time on the airwaves, for example, or, or buying mail that they send to voters. But what we've never seen before, I mean, literally unprecedented in its entirety, is money being used to finance the conduct of elections. And I guarantee you, if the shoe was on the other foot and you had that money coming from Charles Koch, for example, there would be massive outrage in the media and among many prominent Democrats. But of course, because it's Zuckerberg, this is sort of a little bit uh, less on the radar, I would say, of, of the mainstream. But yeah, the egregious examples are there and you really don't have to look very hard to find them because they're, they're there in pretty much every state we've looked at and uh, in all sorts of instances within those states. Yeah, and I think just to really punch that point as well, that this had nothing to do uh, or very little to do at most with COVID and protecting people from COVID. One of the, I think, most offensive examples that we found as well was that in Arkansas, in Pulaski County, Arkansas, they received, I believe, half somewhere in the neighborhood of half a million dollars in Zuckerbucks, the largest grant uh, in the entire state of Arkansas. They literally sent election workers into high schools to register 18-year-olds to vote. So think about that. During a pandemic, 
they sent people into high schools to register people to vote. Anyone that knows Arkansas or knows anything about Pulaski County, it's not exactly a, a deep red Republican stronghold. It's one of the bluest, most heavily Democratic areas in the entire state. So again, was this about COVID? Was this really about protecting people from COVID? Or was this about registering people and turning out Democrats to vote? I think there's more and more evidence to suggest that it was really about the latter. Yeah, and, and to follow up with one more point, you know, Nick Nick just picked a good example from, from his home state. I'll pick one from mine here in Florida. We had Miami-Dade County, $2.5 million in soccer bucks for the safe conduct of the 2020 election. Problem is, when we filed the public records request and Miami-Dade kind of dragged their feet in getting back to us, but they eventually did, not a single dime of that money was spent on the 2020 election. Not one penny. In fact, we still don't know where they spent the money on. They're following up and supposed to file another report on the expenditures. But it begs the question, why did Miami-Dade County, which is a notorious left-leaning county in Florida and one of the largest counties in the state, receive $2.5 million for the safe carryout of an election in an unprecedented year if $0 from that appropriation went to the 2020 election? So it just boggles the mind when you look at these examples. So, Nick, what's our response then? I mean, what can we do? What can the policymakers and the state legislators that are listening to this podcast today, what can they do? What is the FGA response to this obviously difficult and problematic topic? Yeah, I think really the only reasonable or appropriate response is probably also the most obvious, which is we just need to get private money out of elections. We need to stop allowing billionaires of any stripe, of any ideology, regardless of whether they're independent, they're conservative. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to FGA. Public elections should be financed by public money, by taxpayers. Election officials and government have a very serious responsibility to be objective and fair administers of elections. I don't think that it's really possible to do that when you're getting these, you know, millions and millions of dollars coming in from, again, someone that has an ideology because Mark Zuckerberg is not just a name or a philanthropist without an agenda. He was financing all of this, as we all remember, while he was censoring conservatives on social media, while he was financing ballot issue campaigns around the country to push for liberal leftist policy. I mean, he's not just some generous, benevolent benefactor. He has an agenda. And whether or not the grants were presented in that way is sort of beside the point. Because I think when you look at the totality of what he was doing and what he has done and the public you know, policy positions that he's taken, he has an agenda, he has a viewpoint. And so regardless of where the money's coming from, it shouldn't be coming from an individual. It shouldn't be coming from the private sector. You know, imagine imagine if I lean on Arkansas examples a lot. Imagine if Walmart was financing public elections. Imagine the the outcry there would be over that. It wouldn't be appropriate. I mean, Walmart is a corporation and they have their own interests and they have their own, you know, viewpoints on things. They're a great company in a lot of ways, but like we wouldn't want them financing our elections. And so I think the the really the most simple and really the only reasonable complete response is to just say we're going to let public taxpayers and public money fund public elections. You know, there's an element of this too where again, what does the public perceive? 
we're never going to know, unfortunately, the full picture of everything that happened with Zuckerbucks and all the ways that the money was spent and the total influence that it had. And that's a problem because that threatens not only our democracy, but it threatens the public's confidence in what's happening when they go into the ballot booth, what's happening behind the curtain, what's happening behind the scenes. And I think public confidence in our election system is at a really low point. And so this is something by getting rid of Zuckerbucks and putting these protections in place, I think it's frankly one of the most tangible, significant things that states can do to try to restore and rebuild some of that confidence that's really shaken right now. Yeah, and and just one note off that is, one of the great things is states have started to take the reins and do that. I think we've seen about seven states across the country, literally spanning from Idaho to Florida, have taken action to prohibit this from ever happening again and flat out prohibiting the use of private funds to finance the conduct of elections ever again. So we're seeing some positive momentum and, and hopefully other states will, will join that right track. Yeah, I, uh, I really appreciate what both of you guys have had to say there um, and everything that you've said today. Uh, that does bring us to the end of our podcast segment today. I've been your host, Dan Reynolds, for another great episode of Built to Win, presented by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I've been sitting down with Research Director at FGA, Nick Horton. Nick, thanks so much for joining in. Thank you, Dan. And also Hayden Dubois, Senior Research Analyst at FGA. Hayden, thanks so much for joining the podcast as well. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Please rate and subscribe to our podcast. Share this with a friend. It helps us find some new listeners. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Built to Win, the leading state-focused policy podcast presented by the Foundation for Government Accountability, a nonprofit organization helping millions achieve the American dream. To learn more about our work or our experts, visit www.thefga.org and tell us what you think on Twitter at Built to Win Podcast. Views and opinions expressed by guests on Built to Win do not necessarily reflect the official position of the Foundation for Government Accountability and are not intended to advocate for or against the passage of any legislation or ballot initiative or to support or oppose any candidate for elected office.